0: Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been Incredibly influential in human history, from the time we were hunter gatherers looking for fresh sources of water, to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities. Eventually, having plumbing, uh, the way that it changed sanitation, uh, irrigation, and what is the what's the future? Of water. Are we going to have enough of this stuff? How can we make more clean, fresh water? I just listened to a very interesting episode Alchemy, Turning Milk into Water, Sustainable Water Management. And this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water, coffee, industrial practices, sustainable value chain, and social responsibilities with uh, this man, Carlos uh, Gali, who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Welcome back, everybody. Sorry we missed another week. This tour's (laughs) kicking my butt a little bit, time-wise. But um, I wasn't even going to share all this with you guys, but I thought you might get a kick out of um, hearing about life on the road a little bit. So one, I just did. I just finished my 63rd City. I now have a few days break, one more show, and then I have a big um, Christmas break, and so uh, getting fully recharged in the whole thing really went quite well as uh, sold out most shows, especially recently, it keeps on growing and growing. I had, um, I almost did 20 sold out shows in a row, in fact, and there's always just some misses here and there or some places that are really big venues that are are full but not quite sold out. And so everything's been going great. I made it. Um, I uh, The the routing worked. I scheduled enough time for myself. But what I found out is that what you need to factor in is things like uh, having your car get broke into in Wichita and having to spend two hours trying to find glass in Wichita and then having to uh, then... Um, tape up your window because there's no glass for your car there, and there is some in Kansas City, your next stop, so you have to tape a garbage bag up on your window. That's going to take you about an hour or so because you're not uh, terribly experienced with um, garbage bag window repair. And and then you're going to drive to Kansas City, then you go to the next... It, you have a show there. you got to get an Airbnb with a garage, and that takes a little extra time. Then it, the next morning, um, you get the, the window replaced, and now you have a seven-hour drive ahead of you to Memphis. And that's going to be a long day, and you know it. But you know what? You don't want anything else to go wrong. So you go and you get yourself an oil change. You get the car washed just to make sure those those headlights are working well and everything. And you make that seven-hour drive, and just before you get to the venue, one of your tires explodes on the interstate, and you have to call an Uber to get to the venue, and then, because you don't have time to deal with it then, and then the next day, you have to change the tire and get it to a tire place and get that fixed, and all these things would be mild, mild inconveniences in my regular life. But when you have a very tight tour schedule, these are the things that you just do not have time for. And, uh, and that's when I started getting run down and then I got sick. You may hear it in my voice. And I have had no time to do anything but sleep, drive, and do shows. So even just the 20 minutes or to an hour that it takes for me to, upload the podcast, record intros, outros, uh, send Ramin Nazer the info that he needs and all that. I just have been too exhausted, but now I have a break and, um, this tour so far, which is really almost over. It's, it's, uh, it's three quarters of the way through now and it's, been i'm gonna miss it when it's done it's been really fun and exciting and made a lot of new fans and got to meet a lot of fans and a lot of podcast fans have been coming out to shows and it's been so terrific and um all the reviews you guys wrote uh, uh, when I hounded you, when I, when I gave you that big guilt trip a week or two ago, I'm sorry for that. I feel guilty for the guilt trip, but it worked and I got a lot of reviews and so that helped the podcast. So that helps us. And so, um, anyway, I have a lot of stuff that I've been putting in the works for next year um i and i'll be able to share more of the news with you soon um some some stuff is almost confirmed others is a little further away but definitely in the works and but next year is going to be an exciting year um for this podcast and so uh today's episode is one that i i recorded um a while back right right at the beginning of the tour actually and it's um it's just about kind of the uh, online learning and, and the future of education, and this is something that I care a lot about. This is why I made this podcast, and so I I also wanted to say that if you guys have any other ideas on how I I can improve, improve if you have um, ways that um suggestions for just how to get this information to more people that need it, how to maybe make it more palatable or entertaining. Um, I'm all ears, and uh, I, I bring that up also because of the time crunch. I have not been able to get back to you guys as often as I like. Usually, I'm fairly prompt with my response when you guys go to the Here We com website and write me. And I have not had any time for that on this tour. I have a little break now. And then January is much more. It's not every single night. It is um, four, five nights a week. And um, and the driving is, for the most part, a little more manageable as well. And so um, I'm going to be getting caught up on things um, starting now. Really, so I'll, I'll try to get back to all of you that wrote. I have um, piles and piles and piles and months of emails that I need to get back to. Um, but uh, So I, I just wanted to explain that and apologize for not getting back to anyone that did write. And um, just thank you guys again uh, for listening and your patience as I have been pushing myself the hardest through this tour Um, I appreciate you guys, and as always, uh, thank you so much for listening, and enjoy today's episode. Are we, yes, where are we, here, why are we here, not entirely clear, we are misfits thrust into existence, by random chance,
1: with no hints at all, as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all, it's immensely bizarre, here we are.
0: Joining me today is Laura Pasquini, who is a lecturer at the Department of Learning Technologies in the College of Information at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, and she is a researcher with the Digital Learning and Social Media Research Group, and here I am at her lovely home in Dallas. Thank you for joining me, Laura.
1: Thanks for having me, Shane.
0: Um, so we, we talked a little bit. We, you're interested a lot in, um, in online, uh, learning and, well, various technologies and how we can use them to educate people. Um, correct?
1: Yes, you're <laughs> correct. <laughs> He's read the, the brief notes of it. Yes, and, yes.
0: Um, I, I'm someone who takes a lot of online courses. I, I never went to college. So, um, that is that. And this podcast is my, college education. Um, but I think it's, I think it's amazing. There's, I mean, a lot of the online courses, the beginnings of them were just setting up a video camera and watching a lecture or right. whatever, which I also enjoy. But now there's graphics and, you know, graphs that they can put on the screen and show video clips of various animals or whatever it might be. And it's very interactive. There's pop quizzes that'll pop up to test you to, make sure that um that you're learning the material and helping with retention um what uh, what is it that drew you to um studying this area of research
1: sure uh, yeah distance learning has been around for 30 years but i think in the last uh five to eight years it's become popular because of some of the courses i think you've taken are those massive open online courses so they're free, open, highly produced productions. And people are actually caring about learning online and saying, oh, this is more than just reading a book, answering a quiz, and then doing a discussion forum. So it is interactive, intuitive. And so some of my work is in the open education. So how we openly share these learning courses, how we support learners online, and specifically how uh, we look at um, if technology is helping or hurting, and what the socio-technical side of that is, so it's really the human aspect of technology, and how is it helping us study? How is it improving our memory? What is it looking at as we navigate the world? At least in college and universities, that's the area that I focus in.
0: What are what are some of the pros and cons? I imagine there's an infinite number. Right. Um, well, I mean, maybe before we get into that, what what kinds of so some of the things that you've done, you've, you've went around to various online learners and kind of asked them a little bit about their experience. Um, What kind of, what kind of questions are you uh, asking them about? What are you trying to gain from that?
1: Yeah. So a lot of it is around learning and pedagogical design. So how do you deliver content in a creative way? That's going to drive the end user, our learners um, into it and involve them and gross them. So, The ones that uh, we conducted interviews for, I think you're talking about, is the Massive Open Online Courses, or the MOOCs is the short term. So we really have a great data set to look at, and more researchers than not are looking at the analytics, the questions, um, who's retained in those classes, who graduates. Um, But we went to interview at least 92 people in MOOCs in these four different MOOC classes. And what we wanted to learn from them is um, why are they learning? What are their motivations? Uh, We asked questions around challenges and how they got past them. And then strategies that they kind of persist on learning because they are self-paced courses. They are designed for um, multiple levels and multiple experiences coming in. And some of the learners don't have the prerequisite, but just an interest in a topic. So they might study about Einstein or the solar system, and they're just really into that or into that community of wonder and amazement, and they never got to study that before. Or they're a super nerd academic, and they can't give up, and so they just keep lifelong learning. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I guess I got into online courses just through... Just following my interests and learning about, let's see, I mean...
1: Yeah, what's the last class I, you took online? Actually, let's do the last class the, you did online.
0: The, the last class was um, a drug policy course. I think it was on Course Era. Okay. And um, and it was in preparation for some interviews. When I, When I first got into it, it was just for fun. I just wanted to... Sure learn various things and and uh i I had some motivations i was thinking that i would use some of this stuff in entertainment uh purposes eventually but i knew i needed a lot to learn and uh courses were a great way to do it i took some genetics courses there's one um that it's not sophisticated it's just uh it's just a camera in Stanford watching the lectures of Robert Sapolsky, human behavioral biology, who I talk right. about a lot on the show because he's amazing. And that cl- course is amazing. Um, and But a lot of them have been getting interested in um, or, or educating myself for interviews. Like Dan Ariely, who I had on, right. had an online course that was three of his – Books Basically, all combined into one course and really well produced. And um, yeah, and I, I might use it differently than most people because I'm always cramming for these. And so I pretty much just watch the videos. Sometimes I'll take little quizzes and stuff, but sure. I don't ever do any of the homework. Um, I've never done homework my entire life. So you stayed I the status quo student. through
1: these open courses. Yeah, Great. yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I've, I'm trying to keep my consistent lifelong C <laughs> average.
1: <laughs> well, the and, C students uh, will rule the world one day, is what I heard. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: in, in my in my with, with what I'm trying to do, I need to know a little bit. About as much as possible. Sure. Uh, whereas a lot of people need to know a lot about a very specific thing. And I don't, one, don't have that much interest in that. And two, it just wouldn't benefit me as much.
1: Yeah, you're a renaissance man for your online learning, it sounds like. So it's neat to, <laughs> it's neat to see that folks are I'm just a renaissance
0: in. man in general. Oh, there you so thanks for saying.
1: <laughs> um, no, I think the online learner, we really wanted to know who was being part of this online experience um, and, and know more about how they functioned in these kind of autonomous spaces. So no one checks your homework in the open online courses that they offer.
0: Well, some of the courses they have where you can get certificates or whatever. Um, And I I don't know. I was curious, do do people... I don't know why I always say I was curious. I wouldn't be asking a question.
1: You want to know? Yeah.
0: I would like to know. Um, still, no, uh, very redundant. Um, do those credits actually do, does anyone take any of those seriously or are there, um, schools now that are, Going uh, through the process of, of kind of legitimizing some of these online degrees, online credits, or whatever various words that they have for them and use?
1: Sure. And so the ones we're talking about are just that that MOOC, which is the dirty word for some of us distance ed folks or blended learning folks that have been doing it online. Because we have great courses that offer distance learning and online for the massive open online courses. Students at those institutions obviously are taking them for credit and you can do the certificate where I've seen a number of learners. Actually the ones I spoke to some are graduate students um, might've been tooling up on our statistics and they are going to um, augment part of their learning for their research. Some are actually um, offering for their master's program and saying, can this be an elective course proof of certificate will suffice and some of them are actually taking things in terms of um, getting their employers to give them professional developments too. So we have people in the field studying a genetics um, disorder that might go back into their research in the lab. And so it's um, a way to get kind of training course alongside. So we've had we've seen different types of learners in different ages. Um, so the, People that we interviewed were anywhere from 21 to 81, taking these courses, and they had all different backgrounds, and they came from um, four different um, areas of so North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. And they all had a different stance of why they were taking the course, and their end product wasn't them completing. Some of them was, some of them were into that, and they liked the certificate. But some of them were just for themselves. Um, but yeah, you're right. There is a role to augment some of what we do in traditional courses and going to university. And there's just really highly produced courses you can take now. They're just cool to watch and follow
0: on. With some of the best teachers right. out there rather than, right. I mean, most people don't have, even, even if they could get accepted into a high profile school where you'd get taught by one of these top neuroscientists or whatever it might be, top professors in whatever field in the world, um, a lot of them... But, wouldn't have the money or most people just don't have the opportunity. I, I certainly, and, and people that, that maybe had a couple of rough years or took a little longer to mature or, or what, or find direction in life um, often don't have an, in the past didn't really, it was too late. Now you're, in your factory job and maybe you can take some night school and get some limited position. But I think that's changing.
1: Well, and you said it accesses it. So I had students from Portugal that was interviewing and, um, he and she both said, I don't get this quality or this rigor or this esteemed faculty member who's just an amazing storyteller. So one of them was the law um, and contracts, and they had this great storytelling faculty who had experience at the Supreme Court, and they said, we won't have this. And it doesn't translate to exactly what happens in our country, but we can still learn from it, get and see value in it. And others that were stateside from um, another country said as an expat, we never really valued online until we actually took something of this rigor and I shared with my community of how tough these classes actually are. And they're not just like, uh, you can just watch a video, but if you're doing some of the homework or the peer review, it's actually some serious work and more work than people anticipate for online versus a face-to-face class. Yeah, no thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I Well,
0: a lot of them force you, it's great because It'll be say a ten minute video, or uh, that's the other thing that I like. I think lectures in colleges are too long. I don't think the brain is set up to pay attention for more than say thirty minutes without a break, and people are naturally going to be zoning out and start losing retention without that break. And and uh, so a lot of these videos are say you know, five to 10 minutes long, maybe 15, That right. that's pretty unusual really. And then they'll stop once, twice, three times in a video and there'll be a little quiz pop up or a little, um, sometimes about the material you just saw sometimes getting a feel for what you intuitively think is coming next or whatever right. before answering the question. And, and so, I do those because I have to to keep watching the video, and I, I do like that. I just um, I'm not I refuse to do homework. Uh, right, right.
1: So you'll do it if you're forced to progress to the next section, and that's, yeah. And they are typically like that. Self paced. You get to do them at your own time, um, and that's really what a lot of the learners said. They fit them in on the commute. To some of them, watched with their children. If there was topics that might be you know suitable and enjoyable for them, um, and others just said. Hey, I I think it, I worked it into lunchtimes or in between my clients as a lawyer or a doctor. And it's been fascinating to hear that. Um, they just have an interest in these areas. And that's why some people really take it. So I'm sure the ones you've probably focused on are like, besides uh, the recent class you've taken, have been related to what you talk about and what you hope to talk about in your comedy. And
0: yeah, absolutely. And I also have, uh, because it's not just in front of the computer, there's, um, Great courses, I think mm-hmm. it's called. Um, that was, I think they were kind of one of the first to start doing it. Um, you would probably know better than
1: yeah. There's me, a few, yeah, yeah. That's I know what you're talking about. But
0: though. they they were certainly one of the first, and it was you'd you'd send money, and they'd send DVDs of these courses that were filmed, kind of for a little more for this context rather than um, just setting up a camera during a um, uh, during a lecture, but um, they also have them on audible and various sure. programs. I, I use audible personally. Mm-hmm. Um, not, they're not a sponsor or anything. I just enjoy <laughs> They could them. be if
1: they want to. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but they, uh, I, I love listening to the course. I don't ever, I don't ever read or listen to fiction other than when I watch some program on TV. That's enough fiction for me. And I so it, I think it's great. I think a lot of people would find it to be a little too dry or a little too distracting while driving. But I actually like that when it when it's something really dense, because it keeps me um, it keeps my road rage from acting up and it keeps me so I, I need lots of stimulation all of the time. I get bored very, very easily and I have a poor attention span. And so it keeps me focused sure. on having to learn something. But uh, there's. Um, there's many different mediums that this is expanding into
1: right and you said it like the, these highly produced MOOCs um, actually have transcripts people can watch and speed through or they can a lot of people said they just listen to it on their commute so they wouldn't watch the video but they would hear it mm-hmm. so it's multimodal and I wish I could have the designers on those teams of those different platforms say come in and supersize my course because that's what they're doing is trying to produce to multiple audiences and multiple people I spoke with where English isn't their first language said I can read this or I can see this or I can slow it down and rewind it. Um, and some of them treated their courses like leisure. Like they would put their computer screened onto the TV, or they're like, "No, I'm in my office, or I'm in my lecture mode now." And so it was just individual for individualized learning is really what we're getting to.
0: Um, yeah. So we we've come a long ways since I mean there books used to be so expensive just to make that was kind of the early foundation of college was just like well we only have this one book so someone will stand up in front and read it to everybody and then we eventually had these great things called libraries where anyone could go in and or get a book about whatever. And now it's so easy that you can just have anything on your phone or your computer. It can be with you all of the time. You can go for a walk while listening to this stuff. Um, so what what are uh I'll I'll go back to my earlier question. What what are the kind of pros and cons as far as uh I and I imagine different things have different effects as far as when uh, when retention increases and when it decreases, when engagement increases and decreases, that sort of thing.
1: Sure. Uh, well, the pros of having these massive open online courses, so open resources provides just content sharing. So if you think of the university or college, what it was created for was to share and disseminate knowledge. And I don't think we do that in a public forum enough or bring light to some of these topics. So pro, it's brought out subject matter to the public and general public can access it. And it's also made other, um, interest, invested interest in studying what online and distance and blended learning looks like, the MOOC classes itself are hard to measure because people take them from different levels and they have people that drop out. And um, we decided in our study, we don't really care why they dropped out or didn't get to the end of it because we know some people just sign up and consume and they like either just want to read and listen and that's it. Um, it's not about completing the course because they're not actually measured or paying for it to be measured uh, for the most part. But what about the ones that stayed and what made them um, not stop or stop? Um, so those were some things that we really looked at that were more fascinating. So we looked at how, um, we asked them kind of, what were the challenges? How did you get past that? And we think that gives more information for how actual learners in non-MOOC courses learn online and how we can support them better. And I think that was more interesting to us because um, we heard about what really got them tied into the course but and why they stayed or why they didn't stay. Um, and those were some of the factors that we kind of looked at and Uh, interviewing is long process you've done this so you're like a secret researcher
0: Uh, a a secret researcher okay researcher allowed (laughs) i'm kind of out of the closet of as a researcher yeah i go around i mean this this podcast started because Mm -hmm. there was various subjects that i was interested in i started reaching out to authors that i liked got to know some people and had fascinating fascinating conversations with them thought that they would be entertaining for other people if they were recorded,
1: right? And right. Yeah. And so, like, what you're doing, it like besides the IRB process not being approved, you're you are talking to human subjects. You're doing like the one to one interview. You may have like we'll call it unstructured interview, mm-hmm. and it takes a long time. And you invest like quality machine, like you uh, machinery, like you have. I do
0: high quality.
1: High quality is yeah. sitting right here, and I, I think the thing that you don't do is that we would continue on is have some transcripts, uh, either a lovely graduate. Or outsource that somewhere. And then we'd look at what was said in those conversations. So, never you mind count your so data, many times
0: uh, How many times I say, um, and. Exactly. Like, if you
1: want, if that's relevant.
0: That's interesting. It's one I, I <laughs> sure. throw out quite a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, um. no. And, but you could actually talk about the theme. So, if you were to thematically look at your podcasts and look at the tra- sure. all the transcripts, what would come out? And what would that mean? And what's of value to you or your listeners? Maybe. I don't know. So, that's. Yeah, such what we do uh, times. What are you at? What number podcast are you at?
0: Um, this one when this comes out, this will be a hundred and two.
1: So you could do some. You're doing like massive data there, some big data podcasting research. Yeah, if you're to look at that. So
0: I'm studying scientists. I that's just, right. <laughs> I just don't write it down or <laughs> do anything that's actually valid this in one any way. It, But
1: it is the type of form that we kind of take take for granted. As um, I think um, having that. Conversation and that Q and A is really valid in learning.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm anti grade. Uh, there's, uh, there's no assessment no, needed. There's no homework needed. I give suggest- suggestions for continued reading. Uh, sometimes I I think that the number one thing that any teacher can do is not instill particular bits of information. I think it's to spark curiosity so that people will go off on their own and look into things on their own because no one should put a whole lot of stock into what, one person has to say certainly you, you talk to my even, students
1: about that because they're really into the uh, grades i don't know you could have a chat with no. them yeah you don't you don't want me as a motivational
0: speaker because i'll be like you know what i like to do kids give up i do it all the time don't beat myself up for it when i feel like quitting a course i just give right hey, up and that's one of the on. strategies
1: actually that was one of the strategies we found that learners did in these MOOCs. they said hey it's not working for me, or it's not the right time in my life. I'm gonna stop, and I'll come back when I want to because yeah. they're free. There, you still have that material if you signed up. It's there for you later, so that is a strategy. So
0: I I feel like if I'm working or studying or something like that, X number of hours a day, I feel satisfied. I don't I don't care what it's about really. I'm mm-hmm. just whatever mood I'm in that day. That's what I well, I mean with this podcast my my life is a lot more structured because I do have to prepare for interviews sometimes a lot of times I wing it um, <laughs> to be completely honest but um i i don 't know i think that I think that that's that 's a a little more of how the future is going because we live in a world where uh, you know people watch a few YouTube videos and really get sucked into fun kitten videos for <laughs> for a while <laughs> who doesn't then, who doesn't oh of course they're wonderful <laughs> but then you, then you want to watch um something about physics on Netflix or um or some documentary about war or, or whatever when you, when you're trying to get something a little more toward the informative side even with Even with TV shows, I mean, people just crave variety, right? like, naturally. And I think that education in the future is going to have to become a bit more entertaining
1: than it is. Or a bit more involved. Like you just said it yourself. So it's who watches TV with just one screen anymore? There's always a second screen, whether they're following a hashtag to looking something up that's been talked about, to looking at... Of uh, YouTube clip that was mentioned, like it's not just one thing anymore. So we have like the second screen issue. We have the attention issue, which is most common uh, that we're used to being stimulated and in information given to us right. and, and on its own time. So anything, uh my students, what you said is great. Like we should be like the mini curators, like instructors should be the curators of content to a point and challenge your students to do the same thing as well and facilitate, you know, getting ideas out there and figuring out if it's for them. But sometimes students hate that, Shane. They're like, no, I just want you to dump all the knowledge to me. <sighs> so it's it's the balance between the two. Because I think they've been grown up in that system of a structure, like the assembly line. I, I think that school's done that a bit, that, oh, that sage on the stage. I, I'm not a fan, although my title says lecturer. I, I don't actually lecture. Um, that's my dirty secret. I do like a 10-minute whatever. You
0: just gave away your dirty <sighs> secret. Oh,
1: no. Well, no. No one, lo- no one listens to this, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. no, that's Are great. Perfect.
0: <laughs> um, uh, but I, um, I think another thing that's important is that people. As far as guiding people, because I do think that there are plenty of individual differences, and a lot of people just love having this this little set of guidelines for life, and just have people tell them what to do. And that's uh, there are people that just like following along, and that makes it easier for them, and it's less stressful. I do think that um, on top of just sparking curiosity, another aspect of it is. Guiding people in a little bit of the right direction, with being careful not to, uh, not to be like this is the only true and right direction. But you, because one of the negative aspects of of self education and the internet is that people do get down these these tunnels, of, the rabbit
1: hole of the internet.
0: Uh, of yeah, of the internet, and, and there's. There is definitely some very, very bad information out there (laughs) and that people are taking very seriously. And especially with any, uh, like conspiracies are a great example of, of where, uh, people can go down these rabbit holes. And next thing you know, there's shape shifting lizard people living under the earth that are controlling everything. That's true. And well, I know that is, but that's, (laughs) That's an example of one of the true ones, but then there's ridiculous things, right? Um, And and you know, it's not even to know. Not even conspiracy stuff. Say you want to be healthy, uh, or uh, you know, learn learn some new exercise or diet thing or something like that. There's all sorts of awful information out there, and some of it can be very much dangerous too, and. So to figure out how how to get people guided in the right direction and
1: guide themselves in the right direction is yeah uh, tricky. information literacy you're right, like I think you're you're right being critical of what's out there in the resources and some of, I think that's probably more than not the role of a good um, educator in any fields k twelve higher ed. In general, like be critical what's out there, understanding um, uh, fact check because we don't have that for the internet. But that would be a good idea. So I should we should think about that, and patent that. But we should, you know what I mean. I'm
0: I'm way ahead of ya. Uh, I already have a fact check for <laughs> fact checkers. Whoa, set up, that's very so meta. I'm really next level. <laughs> Uh,
1: yeah, no, and I think you're right. We don't um, talk about uh, like we, we'll do everything to search about someone and search online who they are, but we never really check like our web MD. Look, is that true to this? And then we have hypochondriac self-diagnosing some illness that may or may not they ha- they may or may not have.
0: Most of the time, the first thing that pops up on web MD should be like, "Oh, you are a hypochondriac." That's what we <laughs> That's are diagnosing problem, yeah. you yeah. with. Um, yeah. I think that uh, I think that people can, and and sometimes if people get, it's very easy. I found myself do to it too, to get very invested in one very particular subject. Like say, I'll just the way that my brain works with music, with anything, I get obsessed with something for a little while, and then I learn it and I get my fill of it, and then. I get obsessed with something else. Um, I, I have a, a band or two that I'm interested in. For like three months, I listen to them all the time and then I won't listen to them again for a year or something. And information can be much, uh, very much like that as well. Right. For example, evolutionary psychology is still something that I care deeply about and I, I find endlessly fascinating, but I used to be even more obsessed when I, than I was. And for a while, you can, you can get down this, you can have a bit of tunnel vision. And not see some of the bigger picture, not see some of the standpoints from, say, a sociology point of view or a neuroscience point of view or right. whatever it might be. And even academics do this.
1: Absolutely. Like we all have a different perspective and a lens, right? So, what are you looking at this one topic on? Is it through an economic point of view? Is it through a social justice point of view? So, I think we have to remember to step out of that. And we have these little communities that we're all a part of, and we kind of um, actually. Challenge to get out of those like echo chambers of the same thing or believing um, it, it's kind of like online cult mentality. If you're part of these groups that talk about the same thing and you're like, well, that's to be true instead of questioning your belief, or your understanding or thinking, well, what is the other side saying? And knowing both of those, I think it's very valid. So I think that comes in part of critical thinking. Um, so people ask me, what do I teach? And I say, information literacy, critical thinking, um, just self-awareness. Like those are some skills that we need to embed into whatever discussion because they have to be able to go away with knowing, it's maybe it's snip of their degree, but it's not just that. They need to think on asking the other questions to continue past the course.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, I think they're one of the things is that they'll be like, uh, what the internet's very good at is figuring out what you like and then offering you more things. <laughs> that you like. But that's not always the best thing for right. education, for character building, for growing as a person.
1: The it's, Amazon approach. Yeah. If you liked this, then, yeah, and, and you do I this think for jobs, too. Yeah. Jobs can, be like, yeah. That. Jobs can yeah. be like
0: that. Education, just in general, and, and books, library, you know, mm-hmm. if you like going to the psychology uh, shelf all of the time, and we that's group them because it's rubber. safe.
1: Categories and yeah. th- are really safe because like I understand that.
0: But, but I think with the internet, you could uh, because even, say say you're like I'm going to watch a bunch of TED talks tonight, and there's one that you like, then it will show you other ones. Like <laughs> it should instead uh, be like, hey, since you liked these last five things on this particular subject, how about something completely opposite? <laughs> Just for how about a change is a thing <laughs> that they should have rather than a. Uh, if you like this, you like that. You should be like, if you like this, how about a change once in a while? How about mix it it's up? It's the
1: anti Bezos approach. Oh, he's not. He's going to be upset with you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So what? Uh, it, but I am curious. What as far as what? What are the retention rates? As far as uh, are there any studies that are showing the difference between regular, um, traditional standard you're you're taking a regular college course you're going into the lecture hall and listening to this and then has it been looked at any kind of a difference in effect of re- retention whatever it might be attendance interest uh, in the your traditional college where you're going into a, a lecture hall and you're getting homework assigned to you after each class and there's um You know a final at the end of the year and and the difference between that and some of these new ways of uh the some of this distance learning stuff some of these online courses.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I will say until recently, at least in the US, the government has not actually cared about distance learning in terms of funding it. And we've looked to some providers like Bill and Melinda Gates and other um other affiliations have said we want to put money into learning more about personalized learning online, adaptive learning. Um so a couple of years ago, or a year Yeah, a year and a half ago, um, the National Research Center for Distance Education and Technological Advancements, it's out of University of uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, uh, got the grant and won the grant for a three year study. So we don't fully know because we've got scattered resources and, um, they're looking at online blended learning. And coming up with a research framework. So I'm fortunate Tanya Justin is one of the uh, co-PIs or directors on that and she's a good colleague of mine. Um, she wants to know more about what are the same things we're finding besides these MOOCs. Um, this is why money is actually interested and invested. What, what are we learning? What are the same data sets that we measure? Because consistently we don't have that information and we know that instructors have impact. Designs have impact. Um, retention rates always are impacted by preparedness going in and MOOCs are um, an interesting area to study. There's lots of data in that now, but learners are coming from anywhere and it's open enrollment. And we're not sure, and we don't think we're going to be able to compare uh, retention rates, but we can look at design and delivery and what we're learning. And so we took a data set, fortunately, um, from a couple of high-end MOOCs, four of them, and we had some ideas. And it wasn't about them finishing but how they finished and so we really want to know uh, how do they persist and they did what you're doing. They searched for outside resources online. They reached out to communities that really are passionate about um, Einstein or passionate about the solar system or law um, or they actually just asked colleagues and friends and their opinions so they went to different ways and strategies or they stopped like you did. Like Those were strategies so we didn't ask so much of why didn't you finish um, but what were the challenges or did you get over it and, and what can we learn from that? They want like support for taking notes online or they want um, another way to have a community that they can interact socially because that helps them learn because they're not just a single person out there. Um, so those were some interesting facts that we're looking at. And when it comes to traditional, every state in the U S has a different kind of pro view and every area and every school, but we're coming together with a common uh, ways to research and understand. And I I'm hoping to do more with, well, how do we help the learner as a non-faculty? So my, advisor or counselors or career counselors or admissions, maybe how do we connect those dots in with the faculty that are teaching those classes and how do we support learners who have challenges or need someone to do transcripts for classes that we may not have accessible or need to do um, something that we don't do already in design for learning and our, I guess, traditional institutions offering the the basic online or blended course.
0: So what are some of the challenges that people report having?
1: Yeah, some of the challenges that from this study came about, like time was the biggest thing. So not enough time in the day, or they were taking too many courses at one time, or couldn't fit in their schedule. You never did that, have you?
0: Well, taking too many, uh, that's an easy one to slip into because I like kind of being all over the place. And especially without having – a lot of these courses do have deadlines if you care about getting a certificate or whatever. But if Mm -hmm. you don't, you can just take them at your own time. Right. That's all that I do. And so sometimes I have like eight different courses going. (laughs) I like it that way. But – I won't finish any of them when, right. when I have that many out.
1: Right. So they said um, life commitments. something came up. Some of them had health or family. And the other one was just underestimating uh, the intellectual difficulty. So they said, essentially, uh, they described about not having enough background knowledge or not expecting that amount of rigor. So either the class might have had it marketed a certain way. And they really didn't have the... Um, prerequisite knowledge. They didn't have the background in X. So one of them is like an example is a statistics course that was pretty well done in R, but you actually need to have some baby stats is what I call it, background. Before you jump in to use this, it's a tool that you can look at data in different ways. And using R, for it was for gen- genetics course. Uh, a lot of them said, I, I guess I needed to have more of it. Or even the Einstein course, I needed more physics than I thought I would. So...
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I, I want to understand how gravity works a little bit, so I'll take this course on quantum <laughs> physics. Which
1: exactly, no one in the
0: world understands. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I've I've had a I've had a little bit of that. Sometimes I I get a book or take a course that I'm like, oh, this is. I am I was not ready for this, but <laughs> I figured it out. I mean, I'm a pretty smart guy. Um, I. I uh yeah i the the time thing is actually what I like about the online courses because i I think it's it's easier it's so digestible because it's just little bits at a time and it's usually like you know t- maybe ten little videos in a week or something, and they're all like three to ten minutes long, so it's right. pretty easy to just watch one in the morning and one at night? or
1: Right. Whatever. And so we know that some of that chunking of information, so that's what essentially what they're doing, right? So those little tidbits or saying what's required to do versus optional or extra or this is what you do to get the basics to get by. So I think informing our learners on what they should expect uh, going in is a good strategy and no, also chunking the information to manageable tasks that they might be able to accomplish and I think we can learn a lot from some of those MOOCs, um, just because they have some different design features that would help learners, um, either digest it as an audio format or video or maybe they just want to read or, uh, yeah, there's, or, or if they could translate text, that's also another way to hit and understand w- what the learners need at the time
0: so people really like the uh, people really like transcripts
1: some of them were read uh some people said that instead of watching the video or they liked the fact that you could speed the video up and then they read they some of them downloaded transcripts like people save documents and I asked what they some people printed out transcripts like ah yeah that,
0: <laughs> that's one of those wacky ideas you get like oh and then I'll have a file of this <laughs> and information from this transcript and then i'll I'll go back to it anytime I didn't no, you're just cluttering up your some house.
1: people did, yeah, so they went back to it, yeah, and that it's it's, it's hitting believe you. different ways people like to learn there's, there's, it's not it's not my yeah, preference
0: that's right there are, but lots of lots of individual differences
1: absolutely, and they also think I think about what you said was it's your own self pacing and you can do it in different spaces, you just need a device that you can do it with, and hmm. yeah
0: hmm. what what do you think the future of online courses and distance learning is Are our colleges nervous that no one's going to, going to give them, uh, $50,000 a year anymore once, once people can get all the top professors right in, right in their living room
1: yeah I don't th- I don't think that's a concern like MIT's had open courseware for like over over a decade so they have had open courses offered mm-hmm. it's and we're gonna have different models and we've had challenges for how we offer so the IVs that have some of these high-end MOOCs they'll be fine they're just offering it um, but there's other institutions that have open courses open resources open textbooks they're not going to go under but I do think some of them are considering online for um cost reasons, and they don't realize there's a lot of cost to invest. Um, just because it's online doesn't mean you don't need to think of infrastructure and staffing and support. Or um, a lot of who I talk with might be an academic advisor or an orientation person. They're like, well, we just do uh, brick and mortar face-to-face. They come to see us. And I said, well, what if they don't? And so this is kind of what we need to think about is those support structures and services that we offer, from accessibility to um admissions what what if it was multimodal and what is mediated by technology and how do you still have that high touch with high tech and so they're like but they won't come to campus at all they might but it might be different so I, I believe some of our institutions will stay face to face and um, that will have a space somewhere but we have uh, what they used to call or some call un- like untraditional students. All my students are pretty much the same and they're non-traditional. And meaning they're just adults, or they're working full time, and that's the standard norm. So it's no longer traditional versus non-traditional. That's the tradition: is people are working full time, and they have other obligations, a family, couple careers, and then they're in school. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that when people are, I've seen some bad online courses, <laughs> and, and with great information, even right, but just poorly executed and. It's interesting to think about it getting kind of Hollywood-like in a way where you you should really some of them just need to do a better kind of casting job, I guess would be the <laughs> right. way to say it. Because sometimes sometimes there's this great information, and I'm and you know some pre- professor that has done amazing research, but they are just. A very boring lecturer, right? And or just way too corny, or uh, like think they're funny and entertaining, and they're right. so lame. And and then there's people that are they could probably teach any subject, even without the it, nothing they're an expert in, and people would learn way
1: more from them just because they're so engaging right. and interesting. And you said it there's personalities involved with design, like, there's it's not just like here's the content, but how are you delivering it? How are learning sciences and learning design and user design is coming into um, learning a bit more, which I think is really cool. I think I'm glad we're asking those questions on how we can do a better job pedagogically. Forget the tool and the tech. Let's just do better of thinking of how our learners will take in information, digest it, use it, and go forth.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of education and I'm also bitter about my education <laughs> because I had a very boring, not challenging education that I slept through and screwed off, uh, through as much as I could my whole life. And no one could get through to me the value of it because, um, it either just wasn't challenging enough or was just incredibly boring and, um,
1: uh I apologize I, I on behalf of the educators changing. uh in the field and my social well, sciences I was also <laughs> a
0: little bit of a dick i'll be honest um, <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> i I, enough. Was, I, was, I wasn't the the best behaved uh young man um but i I do think that getting people engaged is is one of the more important things, and I think that that's what uh the future of this is doing. I think it's going to be a little more enter- toward the entertainment side. So people are kind of doing this. because if you can get people to learn for fun, then you're onto something. Then, people are, then you're sparking people's natural curiosity rather yeah. than being like, you need to have A, B, C, and D to get paid X amount of money. I don't think really help. People will learn enough to do the test and then it's gone six months later or whatever in the next semester
1: well you have to be passionate about and strike your own interests and be be interested in things yourself because that's how you exude that excitement or enthusiasm and if you're not then get out of the field and go do something else (laughs) it's not worth it so do what you like and if you don't like it get the heck out
0: yeah and uh <laughs> that is it. It is hard to tell people that too, though. It's like you know, you know this uh this thing. I mean, I think a lot of people. I I can see it in in some people's work where it's just. You get into something, you think it's a good idea, and then you decide, hey, I don't like this thing, and now I'm trapped in this this career, and they put nothing into it anymore. And I think that's another great thing about all of this is because I think the general public, when you're looking and taking various courses, is going to be able to identify that very easily and be like, oh, I'm not taking another course from that person again. Now I can go to this person, whereas if you're in one one school right. and there's a teacher you don't like, well, you still have to, there's still this requirement to take this next course that they are also teaching, and now you're screwed.
1: Right. And and I think we see some of that. Some, some schools are looking at competency-based um, education, so fulfilling requirements um, from other areas as well as their own degree. And maybe having a core somewhere. And so, um, you have some institutions considering what, like, work experience people are bringing to the table, or if they're transitioning to a career. And I work with an adult population that's already has, have an associate's and they're tooling up to get a four year degree. So they're already in the workforce. So anything I teach has to be relevant, applied, and consider what their work field and industry is. And it's multi, uh, it's multiple industries and multiple disciplines, so you have to think about, will they actually use this somewhere else? And I don't know if every discipline can do that, but I think it would be nice to see them apply it a bit more. And we have examples like you've talked about from Audible to TED Talks to just, just different kind of um, MOOCs or experiential learning we have online. So I think it's a, a neat way to see how we're going to go or could go
0: yeah i and i mean of course the here we are podcast is changing,
1: changing <laughs> one, one of the, the most world. uh online resource
0: <laughs> um mostly because of wonderful guests like you laura Pasquini. i thank the you the sincerity so much in that so i don't know i i, I, I don't come on let, let me patronize a little bit um i i I really do appreciate what you do. I mean, these these things have, they are one of my uh, favorite ways of getting new information into my noggin. <laughs> and I hope that it expands in the future. There's uh, a lot of other subjects that I've looked around for and just haven't found a course for me and in in a particular right. thing that I want to learn about. And I think that five, 10 years from now, That really won't be the case. Any particular thing, as specific as you want to, you can learn about it. There will be an expert who will have a full course. A
1: course, a book, something. I think that's neat about these open educational resources. I think that's a neat fact we're sharing again back. To the public, and I think that's important. Yeah,
0: MOOCs just a baby right now. (laughs) Oh, it's a toddler. It's been around for a little while, but it's it's, been
1: around for a while. It all it started in Canada long before 2012. But uh, uh, there's some crazy uh, Canadian socialists brought them. We don't
0: we don't like to talk about (laughs) Canadians.
1: Ouch, ouch! That's Um,
0: (laughs) well. Thank you, Laura, for joining me, uh, and thank you, audience, for being wonderful, curious people. Talk to you next week. This week's charity of the week is an organization that Laura volunteers for, Dallaspetsalive.org. Um and you can go to find out what they has to have to, what they do which has to do with um, uh, promoting and providing resources, education and programs needed to eliminate the killing of companion animals. And if you don't want if you don't live in Dallas, you may want to find in a uh, similar organization near you if um if pets and and uh animals aren't your thing you may want to find some other organization but it's the holiday season this is the time when uh when a lot of people get a little more encouraged than usual to be giving and i think that's always a good thing. I always wish that I was a little more charitable when I am. I always feel better. Um, even even when I don't have much to give, even when I'm run down, when I had uh, the beginning of the podcast, when I had a, a few really bad days in a row and I was quite miserable, I actually found myself being much more charitable and, um, and generous to the people around me just because um, at least I could make uh, give someone else a good day um, and that made me feel a little better and uh, so you know this is uh, we talk about this all the time on the show um, if if uh, it's been a while since you've um, given to charities or the less fortunate just a little nudge in that direction that's all next week on the program I will be talking um well, I'll I'll let you hear for yourself because um, it's a it's a bit complicated. We're going to be talking about the olfactory neurons, the old sense of smell, and how they receive hormones. All stuff that I'm interested in. All stuff that I was exceptionally ill prepared for. All stuff that was a little technical. And so you get to hear me, um, trying to keep up with all that. And I thought it still it went, uh, went pretty well and, and it was definitely interesting work. And I'm so excited now that I have free time back in my life to study and research, uh, for these podcasts because sometimes winging it. It goes awesome, and then other times it's uh, not that it doesn't go well. I, I always have fun doing it, but I just feel like uh, I, I could have asked better questions had I had I been a little more prepared. And next week is one of those, but um, I, I found it entertaining nonetheless. Otherwise, I won't be releasing it. Um, but uh, it's a fun episode, and I hope you guys have... Or had or going to have or continue having a good holiday season I um you know i <laughs> you probably get a sense of of where my beliefs are with uh um some religious stuff and whatnot, but I am pro holiday. I want my beliefs to have a holiday I wanna have a transhumanist holiday where we celebrate the future. We celebrate current technologies. We celebrate how far we've come as humans. I'd like to see a federal ho- holiday for that. But people like to celebrate the past, I suppose, and whatever makes people happy and generous and gets people getting along and um, and getting together with family and friends is always a great idea. Taking Getting a break from their stressful jobs and all of that and so I hope you guys have a wonderful one. Um, this has been a really wonderful year for me. And so uh, the holiday season is, is just a time when I guess I feel a little, a little more uh, thankful than normal. So um, I really do appreciate you guys. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And those of you that listen to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
1: Let's say uh, Seinfeld was was on an island yeah. and he was blowing <laughs> Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go
0: something like this.
1: Oh, Mister Karloff,
0: I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blow jump. Why,
1: Mister Seinfeld, I'd love
0: having you.